0: This podcast was recorded in a Zoom meeting with the Hartford Street Zen Center Sangha. Please visit hszc.org for information about how to join our online programs or to make a contribution. We depend on the generosity of our members and supporters, especially during this challenging time. Thank you.
1: Thank you everybody for inviting me to uh, be here once again virtually this time. so i I don't believe that I've ever spoken about Durrani's uh for Hartford Street Zen Center have I no i didn't I didn't think I had so um <laughs> this is easier to do in person when I can ask for a show of hands but uh i'm not I'm imagining that most of you who have uh practiced um you know at the Zen centers have heard Durrani's. Uh, since uh, in the Soto tradition, there's the great compassionate heart Dharani and the wondrous auspicious Dharani for averting calamities. I happen to have picked up uh, from City Center the book Zen Chants by Kazuaki Tanahashi. So those are in there, as well as uh, the Heart Sutra and various other things are used in the uh, Soto Zen tradition. And of course, Dharanis are very widespread throughout the Buddhist tradition generally. And even in Theravada Buddhism, I understand they have something called Parita. I may not be saying that right, but they have their own version of chants. So Dharani practices is fairly ubiquitous. Uh, but I, I think maybe a lot of people don't really fully understand or know what Dharanis are. So I would like to share some of the background of them. Uh, I found a very helpful book by Paul Kopp called The Body Incantatory, Spells and the Ritual Imagination in Medieval Chinese Buddhism, which answered a lot of my questions about them. Uh, my own exposure to Durrani uh, as a Nichiren Shu priest is uh, that when I was in my final training uh, to be fully ordained Uh, The program's called Shinyo Dojo, and it occurs over a period of roughly a month and a half at Kawamji Temple, located at Mount Minobu in Japan. Uh, There was an opportunity for those who had, I'm not going to dare say mastered, but those who were fairly good at chanting the sutra, the 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 regular sutra passages, uh, to take a little more advanced class and do the chanting of the Dharanis, which have kind of a little more complex rhythm than the usual chanting of the sutra. Uh, and we don't, Dharanis don't often get used in Nichiren Shu by the lay people or practitioners, or regular priests. They're, they're often just used by the priests who have undergone the Aragyo ascetic training for 100 days in the winter. And after that, they're empowered to do what are called keto. Keto prayers or blessings, and uh, the Dharanis are a large part of that. So within Nichiren Shu, the Dharani practice is basically just something that the Aragyo priests do, but really anybody can do them, of course. So, uh, And I enjoy doing them and make them part of my own regular practice. So I would like to share what the Dharanis are all about, and then, give a demonstration or uh, lead the chanting of the Dharanis and Lotus Sutra. Of course, uh, (laughs) given this format, we can't all do it together, so I will just do the Dharanis myself, and if if you wish to try to follow along, uh, you are more than welcome to. So let me start my screen sharing and get into it. Uh, Let's see here. Okay. So Dharanis, uh, they're often been translated as Buddhist spells, and they are often used in a way that spells would be used. So that is why I've been, uh, called this uh, talk the Dharanis Buddhist Spell Working. So, what is a Dharani? And let's see if I can. Unfortunately, I don't have a cursor, and I've got everybody's faces in front of, <laughs> I'll have to do it this way. All right. So Dharani's, the word Dharani can be translated as a code or a mnemonic device. And it actually it probably should be uh, pronounced Dharani, like that, Dharani. I'm just gonna keep mispronouncing it the American way though, Dharani's. Uh, in East Asian Buddhism, the Sanskrit term Dharani is translated uh, with these characters that you see here. And in Japanese pronounced Dharani. And they can also be translated. So so these uh, ideograms here are basically a transliteration uh, to reproduce the sound of the Sanskrit word. They don't have any particular meaning themselves. But this next word, uh, soji, means encompassing hold and that is closer to what the Sanskrit word dharani means. Uh, It is also translated with the ideograms that are pronounced in Japanese, himitsu jinju, which means mystic sacred spells. So in esoteric Buddhism, dharani are protective spells like mantras, but they're generally longer. So there's a lot of discussion about the difference between a dharani and a mantra. it seems to basically come down to the fact that Dharanis are just longer mantras. So what then is a mantra? Uh, The Sanskrit word mantra can be viewed as a charm or an invocation, a magic formula or a spell. And in East Asian Buddhism, the Sanskrit word mantra is translated with ideograms that mean true word and those ideograms, which are pronounced Shingon in Japanese is the name of a school of Buddhism, the Shingon Shu, which specializes in esoteric practice. Uh, they were brought into Japan in the very early ninth century by Kukai, uh, also known as Kobo Daishi. And But they, they're not the only ones who do esoteric practice. Esoteric practice is also uh, a specialty of the Tendai school. And of course, various other schools, including the Zen schools, also have varieties of esoteric practices that have uh, filtered in. Uh, mantras are used to invoke protective powers and the ultimate truth. They are believed to contain the sustaining power and merit of the Buddha, Bodhisattva, or guardian deity that they are associated with. Uh, mantras also contain are composed of Sanskrit seed syllables that are the concentrated essence of the being that they refer to. Uh, I have a diagram a little further down that has such seed syllables in it. Um, And by the way, Sanskrit is uh, a, it is not a writing system. Sanskrit is, is the language and there are varieties of it. There's the classical Sanskrit of the Vedas. There's hybrid Sanskrit for Buddha's sutras. Uh, these are sometimes called, uh, if I'm pronouncing it right, prakrites, which means like Sanskrit dialects. So Sanskrit is written down with different script systems like Siddham, for instance, uh, and our uh, Devanagiri, I think is the other one. Uh, in East Asia, I believe they used primarily Siddham for the writing of Sanskrit seed syllables. So to recite a mantra is to invoke the actual presence of the Buddha bodhisattva deity uh, whose seed syllables compose the mantra. An interesting thing about Durrani that I learned from the, the Paul Copps book is that very often they were written down they weren't just spoken spells or invocations. Uh, they were used, well, I'll just read these passages here. In late medieval period in China, these and other Buddhist incantations were written, stamped and printed on amulets, worn on the body. They were carved on pillars, such as the one I have pictured here, uh, written on funerary jars and coffins and embedded in literary texts, like the Lotus Sutra, for instance. They were analyzed in extensive and densely philosophical commentaries and praised in miracle tales and poems. Stories about them or images from those stories were painted on cave shrine walls and the spells themselves were personified and then painted, sculpted, visualized and contemplated. Uh, So further on he says, what is the ungraspable interfusion of mind and world? The inconceivable unity that is irreconcilable difference, the mystic quiddity of things. The metaphor was also a material reality. The material reality was also a metaphor. The domain of thought and bodily practice were interwoven. The mind was in the body, and ornaments and clothing, and those ornaments were in the mind. So, uh, somehow these Dharanis were able to encapsulate uh, what we might call the, the spirit of Buddhist practice itself and then made concrete. And the concrete, in turn, uh, facilitated the, the practice and the spirit of Buddhism. So this is kind of this, this merger of body and mind in the forms of these inscribed Dharanis. So let's talk more about the word dharani itself. As is well known, the word dharani, like the word dharma is derived from the Sanskrit word, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce this root, Dri, maybe, to support, which means to support, maintain, or hold. The derived term seems to have originally referred to the capacity to maintain one's hold of such things as scriptures and strengthening one's memory of beneficial power in improving one's fate or karmic roots are of one's self-composure as well as the ability to increase one's grasp of in the sense of understanding of or knack for things ranging from Buddhist doctrines to contemplative textual objects to incantations. Some of the earliest extant uses of the term do not refer to mnemonics, spells or syllables at all, but simply to a quality of the bodhisattvas, the spiritually advanced being Uh, It was very helpful to read this because in uh, the Lotus Sutra, for example, uh, it refers to all the many Dharanis that the Bodhisattvas have. And I always thought that just meant they knew a lot of spells. But what it's talking about is that that they have this quality of being able to hold the Dharma uh, for different purposes or different circumstances. a way of thinking of uh, Durrani as a mnemonic, by the way, although as this passage shows, it's a lot more than simply a mnemonic device, is uh, like Roy G. Biv. You know, if you're thinking the color, what are the colors in the rainbows? Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. So you, you take things like that and you, you turn them into chants that can be practiced, into these invocations. So, that may be one of the ways in which Durrani came about, you know, turning little mnemonic devices like Roy G. Biv into ways of uh, summarizing, encapsulating whole strings of meaning in import. Um, let's see. Also, durani, which is translated into Chinese by a compound meaning having all, means maintaining. It is connected etymologically with dharana, or which is a word that means concentration, and it's part of the uh, uh, eight-limbed yoga, which I'll talk about a little further down. It is connected etymologically, uh, uh, one of the classes of yogic practice, a word considered by the Mahayana Sutras to be synonymous with samadhi, or which it means meditation or concentration, according to the Tachitulun. Uh, the Tachitulun is the treatise on the great Perfection of Wisdom Sutra that was attributed to Nagarjuna and uh, may have been composed by Kumarajiva in, I believe, the fifth century in China. So according to the Tachitulun, concentrated practice and chanting the sutras is called the dharani of maintaining what has been heard, while concentration on doctrine is called the dharani of the ultimate. Here, dharani retains its original meaning of preserving the Buddha Dharma. So this is uh, from a book called Source Elements, The Lotus Sutra uh, by Keisho Sukamoto, where uh, there's this great chapter in there, analyzing and discussing the Dharanis, the Lotus Sutra in particular. And it goes on to say, in conjecture that Dharani, meaning the mental concentration of dhyana, was also used as the highest wisdom, the Buddha wisdom attained as a result of mental concentration. And uh, jhana of course, is the word that got corrupted in uh, Chinese. Uh, and uh, well, I don't know if you say corrupted, but transliterated with two Chinese characters that I guess roughly in Chinese would be chana. And then they just dropped one character and that character in Japan was translated as Zen. So jhana is Zen. So durani and Zen basically are very closely related terms. In Mahayana Buddhism, there is increasing emphasis that all misfortune may be averted by receiving and keeping the Dharani, by reciting an incantation, or by chanting, accepting, and copying sutras. The fact that Dharanis, Vidyas, and Sutra recitation have been linked to averting misfortune is because all of these are condensations of wisdom, that is, the Buddha Dharma, and are the materialization of it. Overcoming demons on the road to enlightenment was understood to represent the destruction of the spiritual obstacles of the defilements. Thus, a connection grew between overcoming spiritual demons and averting external harm, such as sickness and misfortune. It is not surprising, therefore, that the practitioner was thought to be able to arouse the power to destroy external obstacles by the power achieved through possessing the Durani. Uh, so again, it, it's, it's like a concretization of the power of our Buddhist practice. And just to say a little more about the word dharana, which um, dharani is most connected with, uh, many people today are familiar with the Ashtanga yoga or eight yoga that uh, was taught by Patanjali you know, around the early centuries of the common era. And these are the parts of the eight limb yoga, yama and niyama. So yama is to refrain from violence, falsehood, stealing, sexual misconduct, and avarice. As you can see, this is almost the five precepts uh, used in Buddhism. Uh, The only difference being uh, instead of avarice in Buddhism, we have not to indulge in intoxicants. Uh, niyama are positive injunctions to cultivate purity, contentment, self-discipline, study, and devotion. So these two limbs are the things you should not do or refrain from and the things you should do to create uh, an optimum lifestyle for taking up practice. And then of course, there's the asana or posture, uh, one of which of course is the the lotus posture, um, although there are others that can be used. And in fact, what people think of as yoga today uh, is actually hatha yoga, a uh, form of yoga for stretching so that one can hold an asana posture for a long period of time in a very stable way. So uh, my understanding is hatha yoga really originally is supposed to mean, um, you know, the kind of exercises you do so that you can do this part of the eight limb yoga and just sit still or hold a single posture in a still silent way for a good period of time. Uh, The fourth limb is the pranayama, which is regulation of the breath. The fifth is pratyahara, introspection, where you withdraw your attention from the outside world to the internal world, or to whatever the uh, object of your meditation is going to be, uh, whether that is the breath, or uh, an image of a deity, or a colored disc, or whichever it might be. Once you have withdrawn that attention, then that's when you begin the practice of dharana, which is the control or gathering of the thought to a single point. And what comes out of doing that is dhyana. So dhyana is when you succeeded in holding your attention to that single point. And then samadhi is, in a sense, an intensification or the uh, fulfillment of the dhyana practice, at least in the eight-limb yoga system. Uh, although they seem to be used a lot more interchangeably in Buddhism, depending on what school of Abhidharma you're looking at, uh, the terms jnana and samadhi. And interestingly enough, I, I don't often run into the term dharana in Buddhist texts, uh, but I think it's good to know that where dharana fits in in this kind of uh, methodology of meditation so you can see that the, the Durrani practice is really not just about spell working in a superstitious kind of manner. It is it is really an outgrowth of a way of practicing deepening states of concentration, and it is then attributed with the kind of powers that less sophisticated people would understand uh, as being able to manipulate reality. But really, the the, the what's happening is not an attempt to manipulate reality, but an attempt to cultivate the mind. And of course, there is no reality without the mind that is taking it in and interpreting it. So uh, here's something else I found very interesting that uh, the Cop's book goes into. That there are four depths of Dharani practice according to the Bodhisattva Bhumi, or the stages of Bodhisattva, of the Bodhisattva path. Um, so he said it is one of the most often cited canonical discussions of Dharani and famously divides the Dharani into four kinds. The first is called in Sanskrit Dharma Dharani, or uh, this is all from Kap, in my rendition, grasp of the teachings. So that would just be to remember the words. The second is called arta dharani, which is to grasp the meaning. Respectively, these two terms indicate the capacity to grasp and keep in mind the letter and the meaning of the teachings. The third form is called mantra dharani, or grasp of mantra spells. The precise meaning of this dharani is the least agreed upon, and its basic sense is the grasp of, or that is a knack for employing, certain runs of syllables in various ways. And the final sort of dharani is called kshanti dharani or the grasp by which one attains the patient acceptance of a bodhisattva. So this uh, kshanti dharani, this patience is not just being patient, waiting for a bus, for instance, but the kind of patient acceptance. And and that's the same word that's one of the six perfections, kshanti, the perfection of patience. It's the patient acceptance of the non-arising of all phenomena that is of, of the emptiness of all things, that things do not have a self-nature. And to be able to accept that and understand that and internalize that and to live that is the fourth and ultimate meaning of Dharani practice. The cop uh, goes on to say, it is possible that these four are to be taken as stages of accomplishment moving in the direction of a progressively more refined grasp of buddhist teachings beginning with simply remembering their letter and then finally in the fourth stage of dharani attaining the patient acceptance of the fact that the phenomenal world is empty of any stable abiding essences a state of being understood in the buddhist tradition to result from a very high level of spiritual maturity and this last form the dharani in which one attains the patient acceptance of a bodhisattva consists, as Brarvig explains, in pondering a mantra until one understands its meaning, namely, that it is without meaning, and accordingly understands all dharmas as being beyond expression. So attaining this understanding, the bodhisattva is able to abide without fear amid the unarisen phenomenal world. This is one of the loftiest states of spiritual attainment in Buddhism. So, uh, as I mentioned before, the, the Dharanis are composed of these seed syllables. Uh, in fact, oh, they're not on here. Oh, I'm sorry, I won't be able to show them to you. Uh, the uh, These characters, this is an illustrated version of a calligraphic mandala, and in the calligraphic version, these are usually represented by seed syllables. I'll talk about them in a moment, uh, but The Dharanis are often uh, said to be meaningless, but that is not really true. As I mentioned, they're composed of these uh, seed syllables that represent different powers or beings, gods, goddesses, bodhisattva figures. Uh, Some of the words do have grammatical meaning. It's it's speculated that some of them may come from non-Sanskrit languages and got turned into... Sanskrit, so which at one time they may have had meanings, or had had parts of them that had meanings, and then those meanings were lost, as the just the sound was retained for the power of the sound. Uh, but it is not the case that they are actually completely meaningless, and in fact, uh, some people have reconstructed the meanings of some of these Dharanis, and for the Lotus Sutra Dharanis, I will show that they seem to be calls to a goddess-like figure, especially uh, particularly fierce goddess-like figures. Uh, But in any case, that point about the third and fourth levels, let me bring back here, It it seems to me that that third level of Durrani practice is a way of understanding how to use these Durrani's in different circumstances that will encourage practice, bolster people's confidence, give them a sense that there is perhaps supernatural protection um, as a form of skillful means to lead people into a deeper level of practice. Uh, That's my thought about what this can be about, that an understanding that the Durrani itself, apart from any conceptual meaning and apart from using it to just memorize things or increase the power of your memory, uh, can be used to uh, cultivate the mind in a very powerful way. And then that final Durrani is to see that there doesn't need to be any grasp after any kind of meaning, uh, neither in the Durrani nor in any particular phenomena. That it's the Durrani almost becomes a way of uh, holding the Durrani, ironically, becomes a way of letting go of everything, including the Durrani itself. Not sure if I'm making that very clear, but that's the kind of sense that I have of it. So let me move ahead to, uh, oh, well, before I get into the Durani's Lotus Sutra, um, could I invite somebody who knows the uh, the Durrani for, wondrous, auspicious Dharani for averting calamities, just so we can hear an example of a Dharani that's relatively short. Is there anyone who can do that? Yes, please go ahead.
0: Uh- this is the um this the
1: uh Sino-Japanese pronunciation, which uh at least sometimes would differ sharply from the actual Sanskrit if there was an actual Sanskrit. Right. But anyway, this uh, short
0: Tarani goes nomo san nan moto na no haraji koto sha sono nan to en gyagya gyaki gya gyaki onnon shifura shifura harashifura harashifura jishusa jishusa jishuri jishuri sohaja sohaja senchi gyashirie
1: sono ko thank you yo and, and thank you for pointing out that we are using the Sino-Japanese way of pronouncing the Dharanis. So that's that's an example of a Durrani widely used at least in the Soto Zen tradition. And I'm sure more widely than that. Uh, and each and we restrict ourselves to just doing the Dharanis uh, from the Lotus Sutra. In fact, all of our practices, um, not everything comes from the Lotus Sutra, but pretty much everything uh, is centered on the Lotus Sutra and almost everything derives directly from the Lotus Sutra. Um, although the, like we do things like the Kaikyuge are the uh, four Bodhisattva vowels, which do not come from the Lotus Sutra. So let me um, now get into the Lotus Sutra Dharanis. So let's see here. I'm trying to arrange my screen so I can see. So uh, what you're looking at here is a pictorial version of the calligraphic uh, mandala that is used as the honzang or focus of devotion in Nichiren Buddhism. And going down the center here is Namu Myoho Renge Kyo, which means devotion to the Sutra the Lotus Flower, the wonderful Dharma. And th- this is Nichiren right here. And all of these other figures are the various personages who are in the Lotus Sutra, with, with a few exceptions. Um, fudo myo and aizen myo are two Vidya-rajas, or knowledge kings. Vidya, by the way, means uh, like a knowledge of um, supernatural power, or hidden power. Uh, it's a word that uh, was used in one of the passages I was reading up above and is very closely related to mantras and Duranis and such things. Uh, these two are not in the Lotus Sutra, but they were very important in the kinds of practices that Nichiren was doing and trying to assimilate to the practice of Lotus Sutras. So they're present on the calligraphic mandala in the form of bijas or siddham seed syllables. Uh, in the four corners here, you have the four... Lokapalas are uh, four heavenly kings who guard the four directions. So like Vaisravana is one of them here. And then you have uh, Shakyamuni Buddha and Many Treasures Tathagata who are present together in the Lotus Sutra. Uh, Many Treasures is a sort of a relic body of a Buddha from the primordial past who who comes to testify to the truth of the Lotus Sutra. these surrounding them are the four leaders of the bodhisattvas who emerge from underground. I'm not going to get into all this, um, who exactly everybody is, but I, I just want to give a basic familiarity. Uh, and then you have Manjushri and uh, Samantabhadra. No, wait, that's Manjushri and that's Samantabhadra, bodhisattva. And then you have Medicine King and Maitreya. And then you also have Ananda and Mahakasyapa. And you have the uh, gods of the sun, moon, and stars. Uh, Mara is actually there. Uh, You have the wheel-turning kings and Devadatta. Uh, The king of the Nagas, or the dragons, and the Asuras. Uh, That's Devadatta, actually. And that's King Ajatashatru. And then you have... uh, a sort of a demoness who gets converted by the Buddha into a protective goddess figure named Hariti and her 10 Rakshasi daughters, they're gonna figure into the giving of the Dharanis in the Lotus Sutra. And down here you have a lineage chart in a way of people who passed on the Lotus Sutra. So Nagarjuna, uh, Tiantai and Miao Lo and Dengyo and then you have two Shinto deities down here, Hachiman and Amadurasu. Um, so some of these figures are going to be responsible for bestowing Dharanis upon practitioners of the Lotus Sutra. Um, so I will now get into that. Uh, there are two chapters where Dharani appear in the Lotus Sutra, chapter 26, which is called Dharanis, and chapter 28 called the encouragement of uh, Samantabhadra Bodhisattva and he also gives Dharanis. I'm only gonna cover the Dharanis from chapter 26 here because I think that's enough to deal with. And I'll just briefly go through who each of the figures. The first one is Medicine King Bodhisattva or uh, by Shajiraja, Yakuo in Japanese. And this Bodhisattva represents the healing power of the Buddha And he and his brother, Medicine Superior, figure prominently throughout the Lotus Sutra. And in chapter 26, he says, Thereupon Medicine King Bodhisattva said to the Buddha, World-honored one, now I will give Dharani spells to the expounder of the Dharma in order to protect him. Uh, The next figure is brave in giving Bodhisattva. And he appears among 80,000 bodhisattvas present in the former assembly on Mount Sacred Eagle in the first introductory chapter of the Lotus Sutra. So there's there's three assemblies in two locations in the Lotus Sutra. And the first is on the ground in the middle section of the sutra. It, it all happens up in the air. It's called the Assembly in Space. And that's where things get very trippy. Uh, and time and space get expanded and contracted. Um, and then the third part, they all return to the ground. And that's the uh, ladder assembly on Mount Sacred Eagle. So this Bodhisattva has been present from the very beginning. And he says, thereupon, brave and giving Bodhisattva said to the Buddha, world honored one, I will also utter dharani in order to protect the person who reads, recites, and keeps the Sutra, the Lotus Flower, the wonderful Dharma. If he keeps these dharanis, this teacher of the Dharma will not have his weak points taken advantage of by any yakshas, rakshasas, putanas, krityas, kumbandas, or hungry spirits. These are various forms of of, uh, demons and spiritual predators in India at that time. The next one is one of the four heavenly kings, or Lokapalas, Vaishravana, whose name means hearing everything. And he is considered their chief he protects the teaching place of Shakyamuni Buddha and hears him teach. So he is known as hearing everything. He resides halfway up Mount Sameru, the mountain that's supposedly at the center of the world, and is the guardian deity of the north who presides over winter. And he says, thereupon, hearing everything, heavenly king, the protector of the world, said to the Buddha, world-honored one, I also will utter Dharani in order to protect this teacher of the Dharma out of my compassion towards all living beings. Next, one of the other uh, Lokapalas also provides Dharani. This one is called uh, Dhyatarastra or Nation Upholding. Thereupon, Nation Upholding Heavenly King, accompanied by thousands and billions of Nayatas of Gandharvas who were surrounding him, respectively came to the Buddha, joined his hands together, and said to him, World Honored One, I also will protect the Keeper of the Sutra, the Lotus Flower, the Wonderful Dharma with Dharanis, with divine spells. And then finally, we have Hariti, who i mentioned. In Japanese, she's called Kishimojin. Uh, and she and her 10 daughters, the 10 Rakshasis uh, come, come to the Buddha and together with, let's see, here we go. Together with the mother of demons and her children in attendance. And they all together say to the Buddha, world honored one, we also will protect the person who reads, recites and keeps the Sutra, the Lotus Flower, the wonderful Dharma so that he may have no trouble. No one shall take advantage of the weak points of this teacher of the Dharma." So one thing to notice here is that these figures who are bestowing dharani are kind of doing it conditionally. They're not just dharanis that you can use um, just uh, for anything they're specifically for the teacher of the Dharma, meaning the teacher of the Lotus Sutra. And in several places in the Lotus Sutra it says, the teacher of the Dharma, the Lotus Sutra, keeps, reads, recites, expounds, and copies the Sutra. So, you know, they, they keep or receive it and treasure it, they read it, and then from memory, they can recite it and share it with others. Then they can expound upon its meaning and finally, uh, make copies of it and promulgate it to, you know, get it out there, get it to spread. So this is like putting the Dharma in the world. And of course, this, this kind of idea goes back to uh, in the part of the Pali canon where the Buddha, <clears throat> uh, in the very beginning, once, once he has gathered 60 of the first people to become monks, almost immediately he sends them out in different directions and says go out into the world out of compassion for the many and teach them the dharma so this is a kind of a literary expansion of that so the idea here is that you can have these dharanis receive these dharanis and use them on the condition that you are a teacher of the dharma Uh, that is their purpose to protect the teacher of the dharma Uh, so I'm going to do these Dharanis, and uh, I'm going to start it to qualify as a teacher of the Dharma by chanting uh, Daimoku, I won't do it very long, it's like, I'll do 10 recitations, uh, and then I will get into the Dharanis, the Lotus Sutra, and you're all welcome to join me in that. I think I will repeat the Dharanis Lotus Sutra three times, I'll do it slow once, then I'll do it a little faster, and then I'll do it at a very fast clip, so you can hear the different speeds. Um, the Anitra and Shu, it is taught that of these five practices, the most important is keeping the Lotus Sutra and that the other ones are all uh, implied in that one. So if you can at least keep the Lotus Sutra, that qualifies you as a teacher of the Dharma. So keeping it means to accept it joyfully. So Namu Renge Kyo, expression of accepting the joyfully. As a, this is, the again, the... Sino-Japanese or the Japanese pronunciation of these Chinese characters. Namu means I devote myself to. Myoho is sadharma or the wonderful dharma. Denge is pandarika, the lotus flower. And Kyo is sutra or a thread of discourse. All right, so uh, let me show you these Dharanis themselves. And uh, the first one is by Shiraja, And that one is the longest of these. As you can see, all of this, all of this is the one given by by our medicine king Bodhisattva. And here you can see the possible meanings of these uh, seed syllables. O she who is exceptional, O she who is known, O she who has thought consciousness. And it goes on like that. So when I, as I'm reciting these, you can read them through it's not known who this goddess figure is exactly. Uh, some people have thought Prajnaparamita, um, other people have thought it might be like one of these fierce um, local Indian goddesses, there's different goddesses of different villages and regions, um, Kishi example, or Hariti rather is an example of this, uh, where she has this fierce side, but if you can get her on your good side, then she becomes a protector. Uh, let's see. So that's Shiraja's. The next one is um, the other Bodhisattva, Prada, Pradhanashura. And his are a little shorter. And then the next one is vaishravana's Durani. Those are very short, but this is all of them. And then the other Lokapala, also very short. And then finally you have, um, this sure. is Kishimojin Her other name is Bhutamata and her Rakshasi Daughters, and that's that rounds out the end of this string of Dharanis. So, uh, at this point, just b- before I share with you this practice and the sound of it, uh, or I'll open it up to any questions or comments anybody might have. Uh, so, anybody? Go ahead, and um, you can kind of wave us, wave us down, although, ah, I'm in the wrong view, <laughs> or... <laughs> Yes, go ahead. Um, I can't see names here. Oh, you can't? No. Let
0: me. Is that oh, me? Uh,
1: yeah, Hokai, yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, thank you for your talk, uh, Reverend. What I'm curious about, you know, like theologically about having mystical faith, because you know, I'm hearing of people saying in our country, you know, I don't need to wear a mask because, you know, I have Jesus to protect me. <laughs> and I'm just wondering, you know, about like, it's great to have, like you know, the Lotus Sutra says that Avalokiteshvara will rescue you, right? And I want to have that faith, but I also, <laughs> you know, want to also be careful, you know, and feel like, and I feel like people might, whether it's Buddhism or Christianity, might feel or any religion, like, oh, if I wear a mask, then I'm not really having true faith in the mystical. Right. So, could you comment on that, please? Yeah, that's that's a very good point. Um, I, the <laughs> funny, the the one thing that comes up in my mind, is actually a, a, uh, something that Muhammad said, the like, or is attributed to Muhammad. He supposedly supposedly said, trust in God, but tie up your camel first. And I think that's exactly the right attitude. Um, that, you know, to me, I am very skeptical about anything metaphysical. Uh, and I have, I have kind of little patience for people who get too wrapped up in metaphysics and taking the supernatural literally, but at the same time, I, I love this kind of symbolic play, as it were, and I I do believe in its efficacy insofar as it does have a direct impact on our mind and our attitude, and, and that on our mind and attitude in, in turn has an impact on our uh, immune system, on, you know, just us physically. Mm -hmm. But, you know, do I think that it's, uh, you know, pulling on the hidden strings that that run the world? I I don't buy into that. So I think that we need to do the practical things we need to do, like wear a mask, keep our distance, etc. That we should not presume upon any kind of spiritual or or hidden protections, but at the same time, you know, take care of the mind too. The mind is, is a very important and very integral part of our reality. No mind, no reality. And the nature of our mind determines the nature of our reality for at least us individually. So I think to do these kind of practices can have a very positive impact as long as we don't become superstitious or start presuming upon them. Okay, yes. Yeah, that's helpful. Just just a quick comment. Uh, My favorite. One of my favorite uh, Christian sayings that I I was taught as a kid was Jesus has no hands but yours. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Um, Okay, thank you. Yeah. Welcome. Anybody else? Yes, go ahead. Uh, I, again, I don't see names, so.
2: Italia. It, yeah. it, it,
1: yeah. I don't know
2: where it's come from, but um, I prefer it's better to be careful than to be sorry.
1: Right, right, exactly. So,
2: probably it can combine, you know, with Buddhist teaching. Yeah. It's, uh, it's also to be, to take care of yourself, to be careful
1: yeah you know i I know that um i I've been <laughs> maybe not perfectly careful, but I've tried to be careful i I um you know I'm not going um, hanging out in crowded beaches or anything. Um, I bring my mask with me when I go out um, I've, I've had uh you know aside from going to stores or uh, pickup from like Taco Bell or something. Um, I've had uh, only had contact with my housemate and like a couple other people during all this time. Yet, you know, um, doing all these things to keep yourself safe, there's still a high level of anxiety and, and anxiety for your loved ones, anxiety for, you know, all the things that you can't control. You can do so many things to kind of, you know, control but there's still all that anxiety. And I, I think one of the things that uh, Dharani's and, and mantra practice can do is uh, <clears throat> take all of that anxious, fretting, fretful energy and get it focused and calm and bring it back into your practice. Uh, the, uh, the teacher Tiantai in sixth century China, even uh, he set forth four different ways of cultivating samadhi uh, these four were all sitting, all walking, walking and sitting, and neither walking nor sitting. Uh, this is the old Buddhist tetralemma, you know, trying to come up with four alternatives that will cover everything. But the idea was that, you know, there's the simple sitting practice, and then there's chanting practices you can do while you're walking, circumambulating. And then there's like ritual practices that combine both. And then the fourth one is um, neither walking nor sitting means just whatever you're doing, you know. Be watch your mind, watch what's going on, whatever you're doing. But in the first one, all, even for the all sitting practice, he says that, you know, if you find that you can't get your mind focused or you start to get sleepy or whatever, then, you know, use these kind of chants, use this sort of uh, these devotional practices and mantra like practices to bring that energy back and get it focused in. Okay, uh, anybody else? Uh, if not, I will go into the uh, practice of the Durrani. And like I said, I'll do the Daimoku for a little bit, then I'll do the, I'll run through the Dharanis three times, and then I can open it up to any further questions or comments. So, uh, I will start to do that then. Need to... move things around on my screen here. Oh, oh no. <laughs> there, get back there. Okay.
0: Namu <laughs> shabi tai sente Mokute te moku tabi shabi ai shabi sobi shabi shai ya Aginisente, shabi, darani, ado, kyaba, shaha, shabi, shani, nebi, bentada, nebi, tanda, hare, su, ukure, mukure, arare, hare. Śrīgā-śīyā-śāma-śāmbī-bādhā-bi-kiri-jitē-dārmā-hādī-śitē-sūgyā-ne-kuśā-ne-vāśā-vāśā-śāsūtāimāntakarā-māntarā-sāyāta-ukhidā-kī-kādhārātā. Udo ta udo ta kyo shadia a shada a shaya taya a bado a manya taya zare maka zade uki mo ki are re a ha te ne de te ne de ta ha te e chi ni e chi ni chi ni ne de chi ne di chi ha chi a di na di to na di a na ro na bi ku na di a kane kane ku di kendari sendari matogi joguri buddo. Sonny, ah, chee, day be, day be, day be, day be, day day be, day be, day be, day
1: be, There we go. Ani,
0: mani, mani, ma, mani, shi de, shadi, te, shamya, shabi, tai, sente, mokute, mokutabi, shabi, shabi, sobi, shabi, shae, ah, shae, ah, genisente, shabi, daveni, ado, kaba, shani, nebi, te, ah, atanda, ha, de, su, dai, okude, mokude, ada, de, ha, oda, bi, Te da maha di te kusane basa basa su tai mantaramanta saia ta udo ta udo ta Sayataya saia taia bado amanya na zade makazade yuki mochi are ada ha te ne te ne chini 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 ne chini ne vi chi a chi a kuna bi Kane Kane, Hudi kendari sendari matogi jogudi budosani Achi debi 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 debi
1: debi ani mani mani ma mani shide sa te samya sabi ta sente
0: mo mukutabi mo sabi ya sabi so sabi sai ya sa ya sente sabi da ni ado ka sa sabi sani ne bi te a bentan ne bi tanda Hare Sudayakude, Mukude, Arare, Harari, Shugashi, Asanma, Sambiboda, he did it, Tatamari, Sita, Sogane, Kusane, Basha, Basha, Suta, Manta, Manta, Saya, Tau, Tau, Tokyo, Sada, Sada, Saya, Taya, Baro, Amanina, Taya, Zare, Makas. Uki moki are ha te ne-re-te ne-re-ta-hate Ichi ni ichi ni chi ni ne-re-chi ni ne-re-chi Achi ari nabi bi anado nabi kunabi Kane kane kudi kendari sendari ma togi joguri budosani Achi i debi debi ni debi a debi 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 roke 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 take 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 Toke toke toku musho bo ni
1: So uh, that is how you do the Dharanis of the Lotus Sutra. So thank you all very much. Um, Are there any other questions or comments about these Dharanis or other related subjects? Anybody? I have a question. Uh, I'm just curious what uh, part recitation like that plays in, say, the daily observance uh, in the Nichiren Shu? Yeah, actually it it really doesn't. Um, What I have seen is that the Duranis are pretty much only used by the the priests who have done the Aragyo uh, ascetic training and then do the Kido prayers and then they use the Duranis for that uh, in fact, there are several videos on YouTube of the um, Aragyo priests in and Shu doing these kind of uh, special blessings, or sometimes they're even called exorcisms using the Dharanis. Uh, otherwise, it's, it's like purely optional, it, it's not part of um, the daily practices. See. No, but I think they're a lot of fun, so I like doing them. Uh, yes. Anybody Can I else? Ask a question? Yes, go ahead.
0: Um uh han uh he
1: he describes a practice i think in Buddhist time he called it driving the peg called it, um, driving? it was a reference drive driving the peg okay. um, it was like if you, if you were trying to repair furniture and there was um the wooden the wooden peg was the nail and if it was rotting out, they would put another one behind it and knock it in oh that's interesting okay and so um and I think that Thich Nhat Hanh, when he refers to it as saying, if you have a deeply negative mind state, sometimes you have to make active effort to drive a new mind state in its place. Right, right. So I think so it would be very helpful with that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. In fact, I, I would almost think that they were designed especially to do that. Uh, yes. Anybody else? Uh Richard if you're talking I can't hear you you're on mute. Let me just I Okay now I now I can hear you.
0: I just like to say that it was very soothing just listening to the uh, your recitation. Thank you very much.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh yes, Victoria. I uh,
2: just to say Thank you very much because this chapter for me has always been murkier. I I was never really sure, and again, precisely because of these spells, and uh, this talk for me it has been pure joy, and uh, your recitation, it it was it was just lovely and. Um, and uh i think you should uh, include it somewhere maybe <laughs> maybe in, in the website mm-hmm. but um it was like, it was really a good good clarification of the chapter that can be a bit obscure really actually, good actually
1: mark mark and i are working on a new uh, service book uh that we're going to put on amazon and the, the duranis will be included in that
2: oh wow
1: yeah. And other
2: chapters, other
1: chapters,
2: other chapters. Do you include ten?
1: Oh uh, uh, well, basically, I, I think we're just going to have two and sixteen, and maybe twenty-one, and and then the Duranis.
2: Twenty-one, yeah. yes.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Let me actually let me talk about that for a moment. Um, so the last chapters of the Lotus Sutra, the last. Uh, six chapters especially because mm. chapter 22 closes out the assembly Seven. space that i was talking about and then you have these six chapters about various bodhisattvas and the mm. Dharani chapter and they're almost like a bodhisattva appendices just stuck yeah. on the end of the lotus sutra because it really seems like the it ends at chapter 22 and i think the way I relate to those chapters is that they're ways of showing how to bring the practice into the world, um, but they may not seem very practical because the the kind of magical displays and supernatural powers that are shown in these chapters are not something that you know any of us can relate to outside of like a Marvel you know cinematic universe movie. Uh, but I think that they are using this mythopoeic way of speaking, trying to show us a different kind of attitudes and ideas that we should carry forward in our practice. Um, so this idea of the confidence that the Durrani's give us, whether in chapter 26 mm-hmm. or 28, are displaying um, the benefits of, in your life, how, how your life changes positively to influence your family and people around you is the theme of chapter 27. Uh, being able to be all things to all people is the theme of chapter 24 and 25, in some ways, where these bodhisattvas can appear as many different figures. So you have to kind of extract from the myth and poetry, um, you know, what is it trying to say that we can do to bring that spirit of the Lotus Sutra into the world. Um, mm-hmm. I would also say this, because you, you asked me what chapters Lotus Sutra will be in the service book. So traditionally, well, before Nichiren, the, the four chapters that I think had the most impact on people and still do to many people today is uh, 2 and 16, because 2 is where the Buddha begins speaking. And mm-hmm. chapter 2 is where the Buddha first talks about the one vehicle, that no matter what way you're entering into the Dharma, um the ultimate goal for all of these ways is to become a Buddha oneself. So it's, it's all flowing into one vehicle. And so two is very important for the straight, more or less straightforward presentation of that. 16 is important because then the Buddha says, you know, you think I became enlightened only a little while ago, but my Buddha had as, Buddhahood has no beginning or end. So that really opens up what Buddhahood is and makes it on the one hand, something that is ungraspable. And on the other hand, something that is very, very immediate. We're not, the Buddha didn't die a long time ago. We're not waiting for the next Buddha to appear. The Buddha's always now. So 16 is important. Uh, chapter 14 has always been very important because of all the chapters of the sutra, it seems to have the most practical advice for being in the world. The four peaceful practices, peaceful practices of, of, um, of uh, body, mind, um, speech, and vows or determination. And uh, also chapter 25 has been very important because that's the chapter of Quan Yin or Regarder, the Cries of the World, who says, you know, if you just call on her name, you will be saved. Um, And she's always there for you, you know, very much the savior kind of figure. Uh, Nitrin shifted this emphasis. He shifted from chapter 14 to chapter 13, which talks about all of the persecutions someone upholding the truth may meet in the world from those who are very biased. Um, so, the shift is away from peaceful practices to practices of enduring hardship. And then he shifted from chapter 25, and in fact, you may have noticed on that mandala I showed earlier, Kuan uh, Yin's not even on it. He yeah. shifted from that chapter to chapter 21, which is where uh, the, the Buddha, now presenting himself as the Buddha who became enlightened in a remotest past, passes on, transmits the Dharma to the bodhisattvas who appeared from underground. To spread the Lotus Sutra in the latter age, you know, when things have become degenerate and the Dharma's um, in danger of being lost. So, you know, there's this shift away from peaceful mind your own business practices and relying on saviors to a practice of endurance and being a witness in the world despite all the hardships. Also, Nichiren shifted the, pra- the, the emphasis to chapter 20. Bodhisattva never despising, whose practice was just to greet everybody and say, you too will become a Buddha, so I will always respect you. Uh, Nitran put a lot of emphasis on that chapter as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see, I think, uh, sorry, maybe it's uh, going on 11. So maybe one more, one more question. Okay. Uh, yes, Mark. I need to unmute put in the chat uh, a link to a YouTube video that is a real treat. So before you hang up on Zoom, maybe copy paste that. It's a it's a Nichiren Shu priest who is doing the Duranis that you heard uh, Reverend Ryue reciting, but he's got a jazz trio backing him up. Um, it's, it's outrageously fun to watch. Um, it, it, you'll get a real kick out of it. And then the last thing is, what you saw, Michael's. Uh, this is the the an actual version of the calligraphic mandala, yeah. um, and in the middle, left and right, you can see the Saddam characters that he talked about, that were the seed syllables. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're rather large on the left and right, in the center. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that jazz video is really cool. Thanks for linking that. Um, <laughs> it's, I came across it. Uh, when I was uh, looking for videos to use for an earlier version of this presentation, and I was like, wow, that's amazing. So, uh, all right.